I'm still a New Year's Eve guy. I still really believe that there's, there, there's something to this. Now, I know as I am becoming a little bit more advanced in age, I'm becoming an outlier here in the belief in, in the, the possibility of New Year's resolutions and change. When I was a kid, I know I just got done with a four-week series on vintage Christmas when I was a kid, but I want to talk about New Year's for a second. When I was a kid, do you remember, it seemed like everybody talked about New Year's resolutions. Like, they were everywhere. Everybody was making them. You went to the store, they had the magazines by the shelf, and it was all the celebrities. Here's what their New Year's resolutions were. Not so much anymore. I honestly watched this year over the last week. I couldn't find one thing on the news about New Year's resolutions. I didn't hear anybody talking about them. Nobody. It's, it's like it's kind of disappeared out of our culture. I don't know if any of you saw the coverage this week. Um, Prince Harry interviewed President Obama. I don't know if you saw that. And, uh, it was kind of interesting stuff. One of the questions Prince Harry asked President Obama was, what, what, what are your New Year's resolutions? And this was President Obama's quote. He said, I'm not sure I believe in New Year's resolutions. Typically, people break them. And I said, well, I, you know, I think that that's true. That's why not many of us believe in it anymore. Uh, now, to be fair to Prince Harvey, or Prince Harry, or to be fair to President Obama, Prince Harry's fiance, Meghan Markle, this is, a, this is such a millennial quote. She said she isn't a fan of keeping the strict New Year's resolutions anymore either. The princess-to-be wrote that her only intention for the new year, here was her, her intention, was to, quote, leave room for magic. I'm not sure how you do that. Like, you know, what, put that on your calendar somewhere. we got to remember to leave some room for magic today. But my favorite meme relative to the kind of giving up on the New Year's resolutions was this one. I put it up here. I'll probably get in trouble for it. But I'm opening a gym called Resolutions. It'll have exercise equipment for the first two weeks, then turn into a bar for the rest of the year. Now, this is not biblical. I mean, that's definitely not biblical. But this concept of give, the giving up of goals and change, it, but it happens to the best of us. I mean, maybe you just have gotten to the place too where you're like, ah, I'm not going to do it. So I'm not going to make any, any New Year's resolutions. So this is your annual talk from Pastor John to try to shake you out of this and reawaken in you this potential that exists for change and transformation and purpose and joy in your one and only life. Many of you know I am a now quarter century long suffering Dallas Cowboy fan. I heard groans there. <laughs> Tom Landry, the old Dallas Cowboy coach, he has one of my favorite quotes about this concept of New Year's resolutions, I think about it once a year. Landry said this, today you have 100% of your life left. That's pretty good. See, we are stewards of life. Most of us, if you're here and it's like five degrees out, many of you are gonna be followers of Jesus because you were determined to be here on a cold day. As followers of Jesus, we know that this life that we were given, it was a gift and it was to be stewarded, not wasted. It was to be invested on behalf of Jesus. That we have a responsibility for it. What we do with it matters. Wasting it, frittering it away, just kind of sitting around hoping, you know, waiting for a dull book of phase two. That's not it. I have to remind myself of this on New Year's too. My goal for 2018 cannot be to get more money packed away and closer to retiring. Now, we've gone through this many times, but I think it's an annual ritual and we should do it uh, because it, it helps us to refocus, right? 
when you were in eighth grade, you had a pretty, pretty good goal you wanted to go to? When you were in high school, you had a goal you wanted to go to? And when you were in college, you had a goal. You wanted to get a really good... And then when you got a job, you didn't want to live by yourself all alone. You wanted to go and get yourself a really good... And once you had that spouse, you wanted a place to live, so you wanted your next goal was you were going to go and buy your first... And then you needed to fill up the bedroom, so you want your next goal in life was that you were going to have a family, right? Okay, and so you're clicking those boxes off. Now, we live in a little bit of a bubble here, so there's usually, for all of us in Morris County, there's kind of the next box, which is this house is too small. We call it, uh, we call it here a starter house, which is kind of funny. Um, but, you know, the next goal is I need to get a bigger house, a better car, and all the rest. And something happened sometime, I don't know, 30s, early 40s. The, the boxes all get checked. And there's only one goal left, and what is it? So you can do? This is not biblical. Right? Waiting, working for 40 years, getting up every day with the single-minded purpose of your one and only life to do nothing 30 years from now. You wonder why it's hard to get up in the morning, right? Like, if you think that through. But it happens to the best of us. Uh, maybe you know the story of King David, Israel's great king, right? Most of us got introduced to the story of David when he was a young boy. King David was just like you were. Yeah, 20-year-old kid, full of hope, promise, fight, vision, vigor for life. I mean, he was crazy enough to think he could change the world. I mean, in his youth, maybe like in yours, in your teens, in your 20s, he had dreams, he had goals. Nothing seemed impossible for King David. I mean, you know the story, if you went to Sunday school or maybe grew up around the church. David, he was the youngest of eight sons. So young, in fact, and, you know, kind of so innocent and and, you know, certainly not a warrior by any means, that all of his older brothers were off at war. David, he was kept back by his father, Jesse, to tend to the sheep. He was nothing but a shepherd, a young kid. Well, one day, while, while David's father, he tells uh, David to go take some bread and some cheese to the front line because his sons were fighting uh, the Philistines. Israel was fighting the Philistines. And so he tells David, take some cheese and bread and check on your brothers. Well, he gets there, and what David stumbles across is this regiment of Israelite soldiers just racked in fear by this one Philistine warrior called Goliath. Every day, this so-called giant of a man, he would come forth and he would literally mock Israel and insult them. He'd, he'd, he'd make fun of their God. He'd talk about their powerlessness. And so David, this kid that's still, you know, he's, he's, he's innocent enough, he's young enough to still think he can change the world, that he does have goals and hopes and dreams and vision. He walks on, he, innocent, wide-eyed, and he, he, he shows up and he says, well, I think God has the power to change this situation. And so while no one believes in him or his chances by any worldly standards, they seem slim, you know how the story ends. David takes down the invincible giant, and he wins one of Israel's great battles. See, he's a lot like you. You know, you've won a lot of life's great battles. You live in a nice town, you come to a nice church, you drive a nice car. You know, you've checked a lot of the goal boxes off. David checked a lot of them off, too. He grew up to be Israel's great king. 
Israel prospered. You know, David, he had the crown and the castle. In, in modern day vernacular, he had the four bedroom colonial, the car, and the 401k was growing nicely. And you know what David did? He did something that you and I tend to do, and we've got to be reminded of this every New Year's. What David started to do was David started to coast. Coasting is dangerous for Christians. If you hear nothing else I tell you today, write it down on your bullet. Coasting is dangerous for Christians. Living a life kind of free of calling and goals and purpose Here's what happened to David. Let me, let, me, let me explain what I mean. David, later on in life, here's what the scripture says. In the spring of the year, newness, right? Kind of new time of year. In the time when the kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. He, he, he doesn't go. He sends others out. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David, he remained at Jerusalem. David, the once great warrior, David, who had the crown in the castle, David checks out a little bit. David, he gets comfortable, and David begins to coast. Coasting, I want you to see, coasting is very dangerous. Some of you know the story right, but, but the very next verse, check this out, the next verse. It happened late one afternoon. I love this. When David arose from his couch, right? The once great warrior of Israel, where does he wind up? The one who had hopes and dreams, who had promise and purpose. Well, he got comfortable. And he started to coast. And he wound up on the couch. There was a war that needed tending to, a war that was worth fighting. But David stayed home, and David stayed on his couch. Does this resonate with anybody? I mean, is there places in your life where there are wars that should be tended, tended to and you find it really difficult to get off the couch because it happens to the best of us? Where there's a marriage that needs saving, there, there's a child that needs relating, there's a relationship that needs forsaking. In a world where, where battles are raging, injustice is prevailing, leaders are abdicating, God, he has come to his people, he's promised that he's given them all the resources they need to fix the problems in our homes, our schools, our jobs, and as ideal as it sounds, in the world. He has entrusted to us for our stewardship so much. But we get the crowns, and we get the castles, and we begin coasting. And let me, friends, I gotta tell you, coasting in the Christian life is dangerous says it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and he was walking on the roof of the king's house, his house, and then he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. Now some of you know that story from Sunday school or church. See, David's coasting and he sees Bathsheba and she was, she was really, she was pretty hot. See, some of you know the story because it's your story. She was very beautiful. He was really nice. This would be really lucrative. And as a result, David plunges himself and his family and his nation deep into sin, 
adultery, lies, murder, loss. It's dangerous for Christians to coast. What are resolutions? I mean, they're nothing really more than goals. And goals are biblical. Without goals, purpose wanes. Life is hard. Did anybody raise your hand if life in 2017, there was some incident in 2017 for you where you'd say, yeah, that was kind of hard going through. Raise your hand if 2017 touched you in some way or other, right? Life is hard. And here's what I can tell you, 2018, it's going to hold its share of pain too. Job, the biblical archetype for characters who go through, human beings who go through pain and struggle and loss, he understood this amidst his ruin. Here's what he cries out. What strength do I have left that I can go on hoping? What goal do I have that I would want to prolong my life? We need goals. They sustain life in difficult times, but it's not just that. Because what's at stake is so important. Without God-given goals, callings, dreams, hopes, plans, we get taken out. We get couch-bound. Guys, there is too much at risk for you to coast. Your marriage, your kids, your home, your job, our church, our ministry, our town, the garbage dump in Guatemala City, the reservation in Pine Ridge, there is too much at stake for all of us here at Menham Hills to just get comfortable and coast. Paul understood it. He, he wrote this way about it. He said, everybody who enters an athletic contest goes into strict training, and they do it just to win a temporary crown, but we do it to win one that will be permanent. So Paul goes, this is Paul. He goes, I run, but not without a clear goal ahead of me. So I box, but not as if I were just shadow boxing. I'm not just swinging at the wind here. I'm not just living. I'm not just coasting. Paul says, I live life with a goal in mind. I mean, can you imagine Paul sitting around going, yeah, you know, I, not really, I don't have any goals for the next 40 years. I'm just kind of hoping for a, a condo somewhere on the beach. Right? Now, if anybody had the right to be comfortable in their middle age, it would be Paul. Some of you from various faith backgrounds know him as St. Paul. The scriptures speak of him as Paul of Tarsus because he wasn't always a saint. In fact, at one point, he was the chief prosecutor of the early church. Paul would tell you at one point in his life, he checked the boxes. He had the castle and the crown. He had all the laurels that he could have rested on. He's writing this letter to a church in Philippi that is starting to misunderstand what life is all about, what the gospel is all about. And, and so here's what he says about his own efforts and his own accomplishments. He said, look, I could have confidence in my own effort if anybody could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. Check, that was the law. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel. Check, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Check, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees. Well, there's an accomplishment. I achieved something there. Who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous, I persecuted the church. Check, so I'm a, I'm a good religious zealot. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Check, I was, I was the, the holiest guy. Paul says to this people who at the time thought they could impress God and attain forgiveness and, and salvation by being good through accomplishment, he says, look, I had it all, I did it all. 
I was in line to be the next big thing. But then he says in verse 7, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Paul says, I once thought these accomplishments of mine, the castles, the crowns, the works, the acts, I thought that was the point. I thought they'd impress God. I was sure they'd impress others. But now I realize, Scripture actually calls them something I can't say in church because it's that bad. But he's essentially saying, everything I had and accomplished and achieved, it was all dung to clean it up. And so Paul comes to this realization. He goes, I have a new purpose, a new goal. Here's what he wrote. He goes, I don't mean that I, I, I am already as God wants me to be. He goes, I haven't reached that goal, but, but I'm going to give up because I've failed before. No, he goes, but I'm going to continue trying to reach it. I'm going to keep striving to make it mine. Why? Because Christ wants me to do that, which is the reason he made me his. Brothers and sisters, I know that I have not reached that goal, but there is one thing I always do, forgetting the past. Listen, you know what the number one reason we don't make New Year's resolutions anymore is? Anybody know? Because we don't keep them. Right? But Paul says, forgetting about what's in the past and straining towards what's ahead, I keep trying to reach the goal and get the prize for which God has called me through Christ to the life above. And then he concludes. There's, I love how he concludes because if you hang around Christians long enough, sometimes they can get... You know, so you know, so what is it? Heavenly minded, they're no earthly good, right? And and so sometimes it's like, well, you don't need any goals. Just you know, the goals are worldly. Just let go, let God. Here's what Paul says. He goes, all of us who are spiritually mature should think this way too. If you don't think that you 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 should have a goal, that you should be have certain goals in mind for your one and only life. Paul says this to you. All of us are spiritually mature. You better change the way you think about this. And I love how he ends. And if there are things that you don't agree with, trust me, God will make them clear to you. Resolutions are on the outs because we don't keep them. That's the truth. In fact, statistically, only about 8% of New Year's resolutions are kept. Anybody know what the number one resolution is every year? Same resolution every year. Number one resolution is two. Lose weight. Do you know how many of us keep that? That has a 95% failure rate, right? This is why we give up on New Year's resolutions. Uh, we are really crummy at them. If you're here this morning, you're not sure about the church thing, here's what I want you to know. I want you to know goals are good. Goals have power in them. You should have goals. They're biblical. They'll sustain you through difficult times. You should be careful about coasting. I think if you're a Christian or a non-Christian, those are all truths. Most of you are here when it's too below out this morning because you are a Christian. You, you have some level of commitment to Jesus. So here's the secret for those of you that are Christians to making a change here having a resolution, having a transformative new year that will actually work. The reason we fail at New Year's resolutions is this. We try to do them out of our own will, out of our own resources, and for our own purposes. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm not going to look at that anymore. 
I'm not, I'm not calling him, I'm not seeing her, I'm not eating that. We grit our teeth, we gut them out to, to try for our own purposes with our own power. And the failure rate is phenomenal. Let me ask you a question, why do, you try, why do we try to lose weight? Don't give me the hocus pocus answer. Don't give me, I know you're in church and so you feel spiritual. But the reality is, why do most of us try to look, lose weight? Because we want to look better. Why do we change what we eat? Because we want to feel better, you know, live longer. Uh, the intrinsic re reason, motivation behind a resolution is us. That's the problem. You know why? The problem is us. I have a really big battle going on because the person who wants to eat better is also the person who loves chocolate cake and beer. Right? This is a war that rages regularly. Actually, on my couch is the, the place it takes place often. The, the same person who wants to look good, right, is the same person who hates going to the gym. Yesterday I was leaving for the gym, it was five below zero out, and I walked out the door, Caleb was sitting there, and I said, oh, I cannot tell you how much I don't want to go to the gym today. To which Caleb replied, I cannot tell you how many times I've heard you say that. Right? The same person who wants a better relationship with his wife and with his kids is the same person who loves to avoid difficult conversations. See, the problem with resolutions is us. It's based on our willpower, and we're trying to make them to use for our purposes. Here's the deal. As Christ followers, you don't need a New Year's resolution. You need a New Year's revolution. A revolution, or a resolution, a resolution nothing but a, a decision, a, a resolve to do something or not do something. But a revolution is quite different. A revolution is, quote, a forcible overthrow of the existing power or order in favor of a new system. As followers of Jesus, can I encourage you this morning that you don't need any more resolve. What you need is a new power. Your resolve, can I just I mean, I love you, okay, so I say this with love. Your resolve stinks. You're really bad at resolve. So am I, by the way. Our history proves it. The statistics bear it out. You don't need a resolution. You need a revolution. You need a new internal government that is now in charge of your life and your deepest motivations. Paul writes all this stuff about goals. You ever wonder what his goal was? If you have a big Bible and you open it to the back, you'll often see maps and there's little Paul's missionary journeys. You'll see red lines everywhere he's going here, he's going there. So you might think, well, Paul's goal must have been to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's a good goal, but that wasn't his goal. You might think, well, Paul, he wrote most of the New Testament. Really, most of that was letters to churches. He was planting churches everywhere. So maybe Paul's goal in his life was to plant churches. That's a good goal, but that wasn't Paul's goal either. If you know Paul's story, it says that he was constantly under persecution, shipwrecked, imprisoned, tortured. Paul could, his goal could have been what many of our goals is. This is this year I am going to keep my mouth shut and, you know, not have any pain, right? But that wasn't his goal either. I'm sure in one sense or another there were little G goals. But back to Philippians, he had just listed off all the crowns and comforts and accomplishments that he had, he had, had up to that point, and here's what he says. He says, considering all those things, 
I consider them all a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I've lost all these things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not on a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis, on the basis of faith. Paul says, forget it. Forget all the other things. I have a new goal. I'm singular-minded in my goal. This is it. I want to know Jesus Christ, period. That's my goal. In fact, he says it again. He says, right, next sentence. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection, the participation in his sufferings, that it could become like him in death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul goes, look, I'm not into resolutions anymore. I'm into a revolution that is the power to change my soul. I need it more than anything else. That is my primary goal. It'll feed the fire for me to go on missionary journeys. It'll feed the fire for me to plant churches. It'll sustain me in the depths of prison. I want to know Christ. When's the last time you saw a New Year's resolution to add on top of it? Number one, I want to know Jesus Christ. Track with me now. Is it possible that the reason our resolutions fail year after year is the same reason that our prayers fail time after time? James put it this way. He said, even when you ask, when you pray, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. See, resolutions are about our resolve, our will, our gain. Revolutions are about his resolve, his will, his strength, his gain. Let me make it practical. What if our motivation for exercise and diet and weight loss moves from looking better and feeling better, which never works for me over the long term, because I can tell you from personal experience, cake and beer feel good too. Really good. What if the motivation moved from that towards, what if I gained Christ? What if I knew Christ? What if I was, as I was found in him, what if I started to understand who I was, what he was doing, how, he, how this relationship relates to my body, as I know him, as I love him. Does Corinthians 6 start to come to my mind? Does it become more than just some silly memory verse? Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. See, now your motivation when you head off to the gym is a little bit different. Because I started to realize something. Like, I've got a really good wife. If I weigh 20 pounds more, my wife doesn't care. Right? And so trying to motivate, like, well, if I go to the gym, you know, Joan will love me more. That's not going to help. Uh, if, I go to the, if I go to the gym, God won't love me anymore either. God loves me the same. But here's my motivation. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. What I do with it matters. If I die next week because I didn't care about this, what, what impact is that going to have on my children, my grandchildren, this church, what happens in Guatemala City, Guatemala, Pine Ridge? My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and so is yours. You see how the motivation starts to change? A New Year's revolution to know Christ, what impact could his power and his resolve, what impact could that have on your mouth? 
Is it possible that, you know, I, you know, I know you've done it, ladies. This year I'm going to not nag them. I'm, I, Lord, I'm not going to do it. And you get up, you know, it's Monday morning, and you get up, and there it is, his underwear on the ground, right where, you know, every, he said he would pick them up, and he left them right there. Right? And what happens to your resolve? It's like chocolate cake, right? It, you, but what if, what if you knew him? What if your desire, your number one resolution was, I'm going to know Christ this year. Could that, could the power of Christ, the relationship with Christ, the abiding in Christ, give you more patience, understanding, and grace? As you, as you know Christ and ponder how Jesus' love for the church wasn't a feeling but a decision. Husbands, as you understand that Jesus laid his life down for the church, maybe you'd be willing to lay your life down for your wife. I mean, I could do this all morning. What the power of knowing Christ could mean for you as a parent. How you love your kids, how you forgive your kids, how you speak to your kids. Do you think that knowing Christ could have an impact on how you raise your kids? Do you think it, it, it could help you get out of ungodly relationships? Do you think knowing Christ could have an impact on, on what goes on in your office? I mean, as you know Christ, it all looks different. The motivation changes, the power with which you change, it blows away your resolve. I mean, do you think if you knew Christ, do you think it would impact your financial situation? Do you think as you know Christ, it would help you with decision making? Do you think if you knew Christ, they would be able to sustain you through some of the dark times that are coming for all of us in the next year? We need a revolution. We don't need any more resolutions. John Ortberg uh, kind of a, a, speaks into my life one, a lot. Once in a message related to coming to the conclusion about his own failure in, his, in resolve said this. I, I love this. He goes, I'm a mess. On my own, he goes, I'm powerless over my own ego, and my life is unmanageable, and I need God. Left to myself, I'm going to waste my one and only life in stupid ways. I'm going to damage and neglect relationships. I'm going to make idols of success and my reputation. I'm going to dishonor my sexuality. He says, I'm going to use words, which I'm supposed to use for God, to deceive people. I'm going to use people for my own advancement when I'm supposed to serve the church. I'm going to serve myself instead of serving others and instead of serving you. This is quite an admission from a, a, a renowned pastor. He goes on, he goes, Greed will wind up ruling my wallet. Resentment will fill my heart in a nanosecond. Pride will govern my choices and selfishness will dominate my life. Left to my, myself, I will spend a pathetic existence trying to polish my outer image and hide so no one can see what an egocentric sinner I am on the inside. And he concluded it with this, about his one and only life. If I'm successful in all this, I will go to my grave as a respectable fraud. That is not what the king has for you. That is not what he has for you. He concluded, I'm a mess, and I need God. I want to know Christ. Towards that end, I'm encouraging you. You might say, well, how do I do that? I mean, you guys, come on, man. You know, I mean, first of all, make some time for God. Busyness and hurry is the enemy of your soul. Reorient your life around the things of God. Take I want to know Christ. Put it on your fridge. Put it in your car. Put it on top of your calendar. Jot it down as your number one on your to-do list. I want to know 
Christ. Get in a small group. Prioritize community. Start a Bible study. Join a Bible study. Go on a missions trip. Now look, I don't want to just blow smoke. I'm going to conclude with this. We're giving you a gift this year, and it's a no small cost to us, but we, we feel called to this, okay? I want you to know Christ. You have one and only life, and he has the key to unlock everything good in it for you. Towards that end, and I know you're busy. I, I can't do all these things. I'm too busy. Here's what we've done. We, we, we've partnered with a ministry called Right Now Media. Right Now Media is essentially the Netflix of Christian material and study. Right Now Media has right now more than 10,000 videos of one kind or another from 150 different teachers, speakers, and ministries. These videos, because I know you don't have time to read, these videos are available anytime, anywhere, 24 hours a day, 365 days a week. Get up early, work on it. Do it over lunch. Get up on Saturday morning. Here's what it's going to look like. You're going to get emails about this. This is an incredible gift. When you sign on to Right Now Media, you're going to see there's... There's click things at the top. You see the big banners that go through all the big stuff. It's a Men and Hills page. Here's all of the things that you could go through. 10,000 of them, new and popular. Uh, right now, media originals are working with the biggest names in Christendom on putting material out there. Parenting, youth, marriage, men, women, small groups, pastors. Some of you are going, you should read that, John. Um, you know, Christian living, work, biblical finance, mission and outreach. History, science, holidays, evangelism, recovery, mental health, college and young adults. Keep going. Popular teachers, books of the Bible, apologetics, worship, funny video clips, dramatic illustrations, real life stories, Spanish language, video devotionals, hate and justice. I mean, I could go on all day. 10,000 different ways that in 2018, in your hand, you have the ability to stop over lunch and go, I'm going to dedicate this hour because I got to, this lunch hour, I got to know Christ. Yep, guys, hard to find men's material that's good? You click on the men's thing, right? This is just the top banner that scrolls apart in the men's thing. There's hundreds of titles. Stepping up, a call to courageous manhood. The first one was about Christianity in the workplace. A man in his fatherhood, authentic manhood. Next one, Shaken by Tim Tebow. Boy, you don't hear too much about Tim Tebow, do you? Next one, it starts at home. Learn to confidently teach your kids about God. Next one, you and me forever, marriage in light of attorney, Francis Chan and Lisa Chan. Next one. Okay, how about this? I know what you're doing, parents. I know what you're doing. You will jam any digital content in front of that kid to keep him quiet. I am handing you thousands of hours of good Christian content that he can be quiet to now too, right? And so you'll go through, there's all kinds of Christian stuff for your kids that are here. I tell you all that because it's a gift. I tell you all that because I don't want you to fail again in your resolutions. I tell you all that because what you really need is a revolution and I wanna give you access to a tool that can help it happen for you band come up here. Paul concluded when he was trying to teach Timothy, his young protege, about change. He didn't say, Timothy, let go and let God. I think there's truth in that saying, but here's what he said. He said, Timothy, run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts, but instead pursue, go after, chase after, make time for righteous living faithfulness, love, and peace. My old buddy Tom Landry, pretty good football coach, he had this one great quote when he was asked about the purpose of life. You know, and you might think it was something hokey about sports. You might even think it was about family. Here's what he said. He goes, I know that what life is really about 
It's finding the right relationship between yourself and God. Better known as, I want to know Christ. Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you create in each person that has heard this today a burning passion to know Jesus. I ask it in his great name.